And I tweeted something saying, had a few beers with ex-footballer, great night, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The next thing is I wake up the next day and I've got a load of fans from this particular club who this lad played for, which wasn't local, saying, aye, aye, X has been out um, boozing with a divorce lawyer. You know what that means. What makes an industry-leading lawyer choose family in the first place? Where do they see the legal profession heading? And what advice do they have for aspiring family lawyers? My name's Dwayne Cormell, founder of legal recruitment consultancy Realm Recruit and TheLegalJobCoach.com. And I'm Paula Pawlowska, a specialist recruiter of family and childcare lawyers. In this series of podcasts, we'll be chatting with prominent family lawyers about current trends, memorable clients, their lives away from work, and all things family law. This is Refreshing Chats with Family Lawyers. Coming up in our first ever episode, we've got Michael Chapman, Head of Family Law at Manchester Headquarter, JMW. Michael leads one of the largest family teams in the UK and specialises in advising high-profile business owners, property developers and sports professionals. We spoke with him a few weeks back during the height of the lockdown. We'll start off with the first question, same question for everybody. So we would like to know... If you could enact one refreshing new law, what would it be? Um, I thought about this because obviously um, we got tipped off on, on this on this first question. I assume it's not specific to family law. Is that right? I mean, it can be anything you want. Paula's, Paula's when I asked her this, was rather sensible, whereas if it were my question I had to answer, I'd probably be a little bit off, off the wall with it. See, I, I, yeah, that, 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 that crossed over, but, you know, that, that crossed my mind. <laughs> Um, the one I, th- I thought of that I think is would would address uh, a problem I think generally in society is I think there has to be some some kind of law um, targeted towards social media companies. Um, I think trolling has got to a point now where it's you know it's 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 quasi a form of terrorism uh, you know at, at, at times. Um, it's it, they're, they're completely faceless. Um, they have a level of bravery, you know, because of that anonymity, you know, that they wouldn't have necessarily uh, any time else. I think Ian Wright, just in the last couple of days, has had some horrendous stuff on uh, on Instagram, and you know, it's, it's coming out of people's, you know, off people's keyboards. Sorry, um, you know, just you know, as if they're they're ordering dinner. Um, so I think you know, and it seems a relatively straightforward step. I'm by no means technical in any way. <laughs> So I'm maybe oversimplifying this enormously. <laughs> but I would have thought it wouldn't be that hard to, um, to, uh, work, to, to identify who, who your people are who are opening profiles. I mean, you know, the, the number of tests it takes to open a file in a law firm um, and, and checks that you have to do, you know, surely simple email address. I, I, I don't know. It seems that it would. It's, 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 it's a big problem in society. And I'm not just talking about the celebrities and the famous people and sports people, but, you know, the cyberbullying. Because I've got a 10-year-old daughter and I dread her getting into her teenage years and, and, and social media. It seemed that it would just eradicate it overnight. Again, I may be oversimplifying, but surely if, if, if there were some consequences to this, it would stop it. I don't know. I'd, as I say, I could be oversimplifying. No, I think that's a good answer and I think there's something in that. But... I often think the same, but I wonder whether or not it's not so much a case of whether or not it's possible to trace these people, but more whether or not... 
you don't let them open the account then. Yeah, whether or not cut it source. I think it's whether or not the social media companies want any part of it. I think they're mm. so I think they're so faceless that they don't really care. So it needs a change of law. That would be my refreshing change of uh, refreshing new law to bring in. Fair, yeah, fair enough. Um, All right. Okay. I, I just I just think it would like I say if there's very few problems, are there? Societal or in the law, which which seem to have an answer that would sort things out pretty quickly. You know, normally it seems, you know, something that's going to take forever, you know, like turning a juggernaut. But with that, it just seems, you know, if there were consequences, most people doing it wouldn't do it anymore. And surely that that would have um, a positive effect uh, on society. I don't know. Maybe I'm being... Have you ever been trolled yourself? No, but then I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a rubbish tweeter and I really don't understand Instagram. Um, <laughs> so... So no, I don't think so. The, the the closest I had once was I played around golf with a, um, I said played around the golf. I met a footballer <laughs> after a golf day because I knew some some people who he was playing with, and he was quite high profile at the time. And we ended up having a few beers afterwards. And I tweeted something saying had a few beers with ex footballer, great night, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. The next thing is I wake up the next day. And I've got a load of fans from this particular club who this lad played for, which wasn't local, saying, aye, aye, X has been out um, boozing with a divorce lawyer. You know what that means, because my handle is divorce lawyer. And, and then suddenly, the, the local newspaper have been copied into one of these tweets. So it's, it's not trolling, but it is a kind of reminder that you have to take it seriously and what is out there. Um, so I just replied, said, you know, nothing to see here, a game of golf, nothing else, and had to text the lad to say, listen, this is on Twitter. He'd been copied into it, and he said, you know, it's water off a duck's back. But, um, but yeah, that's the kind of closest, I suppose, um, the social media brush that I've had. It is that easy thing with social media because of its accessibility that people can just jump on anything, even the slightest whiff of something, and people are just willing to blow it up, aren't they? Well, what's Twitter like at the minute with, um, you know, the pandemic on the back of Brexit? There's, there's no, and I don't want to criticise social media. Social media does a lot of good. Um, and, I, and I think, it, you know, by and large, it's very positive, great news sources, etc. But there's no, on, on certain issues, there's no middle ground, is there? It's one, it's one extreme or the other. You know, either Boris Johnson is doing a wonderful job of, of the situation that we're in in very difficult circumstances, or he is the Antichrist and, you know, he is doing everything to bring this country to its knees. There's no real, there's no real medium ground. Is the similar with Brexit? And then it's the same with football. You know, if you, if you get it, you know, if you get engaged in football, Twitter, my God, you know, the, the polarized you there and then, but everything immediately resorts to name calling. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a bizarre social experiment. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe social media is a social experiment. Maybe, so. maybe. Well, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know we might touch on football later, but we definitely won't be asking your opinions on Boris Johnson or Brexit or anything <laughs> political. My views on football will be far better informed than they are on, on the political <coughs> stuff, to be honest. That's good to know. Um, I'd like to think. So, um, last time I checked, um, JMW had the biggest family team um, in the Northwest. And how are you finding managing a team of that size? Um, wow. Start with the big questions. Um, it is an enormous team. It's, um, I think we are 
about 30 fee earners now across Manchester and Liverpool. London kind of looks after itself, the London team, um, which has three people in it at the minute, but is growing. Um, we've, we've broken it down is, is, is how we've done it. Um, Liverpool, again, fairly uh, self-sufficient. Beverly Jones over there, who's fabulous. She manages her team. We've just had year-end. She's had an amazing year. So she's two years pretty much from a standing start. She's done really well. Um, in Manchester, where the, the bulk of the people are, the way that it works is we, we've divided it into three teams. So between myself, Elspeth Kinder, who heads the team up with me, and Cara Nuttall, who does children work, we, we, we have sub-teams. Um, so we, we, we've broken it down into much more bite-sized pieces. That said, when you're heading it up, as Elspeth and I, we have to have a, a grasp of everything that's going on you know, amongst the whole team. But the simple answer is it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's a really fun one, if that makes sense, because none of us have done this before. There's never been a team in Manchester, well, nationwide as far as I'm aware, that has 30, almost 30 solicitors in it. Early 30s. Um, so <coughs> it's, it is a challenge, and we're all kind of learning as we go along. We've got David Pickering in there, of course, who's the, the Manchester stalwart of the divorce world, um, who's great, and he brings work in, and he's, really, he's great for the younger members of the team to kind of look up to and see, you know, this is how we do things. Um, but, yeah, we're just all kind of learning as we go along, and we've got a team who are all willing to listen and, and desperate to learn and ambitious and, and, you know, really top of the game you know each and every level from from the junior people to the associates to senior associates they're the best associates senior associates there are so it, it, that makes it a lot easier yeah you, absolutely. you say that it's fun what what's what's your favorite part of it what's the most fun aspect of it of managing them yeah um gosh on a very on you know on a practical fun level just being in and amongst you know, I have, a, I have my sub-team of, of seven solicitors. Um, I'm obviously old and grey these days, but none of them are. So it's kind of keeping me young. It's almost like having kids. It's like managing the show. You know, that's what I have to say to them a lot of the time. <laughs> but I find that all really interesting. You know, I said earlier on, I'm rubbish at Instagram and all of that. Well, you know, some of these have, could write PhD papers on Instagram. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that type of stuff. You know, it kind of keeps, keeps things fresh. I think... In terms of, you know, of, of management, in inverted commas, I think, you know, there's nothing more, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing somebody come in or who's having difficulties, but seeing them develop, you know, go from, you know, I have a, a, an, an assistant in my team, Grace Matthews, who, you know, she came in, uh, we recruited a very, very junior um, into the city centre um, and, you know, she, she's now probably the best two-year qualified solicitor I've ever worked with. You know, she is outstanding. And seeing that, that growth, Jenny Arnold is another one. I've worked with Jenny for, for five or six years. Senior associate now, worked her way up, building her own practice. You know, that's immensely satisfying. Um, and I can see it with the others. You know, they, they, I can see where they kind of want to, want to get to. And as I said earlier, you know, they're all, they're all keen. They're all ambitious. They're all willing to learn. They're all willing to listen. So, yeah. I sense, I sense that you're very proud of that. And, and I suppose that ties into what we were going to ask you next. And that's, <clears throat> that's um, how does it feel to be, you know, the head of the team joint with Elspeth, not just in itself, but of a team that's tier one listed by Legal 500? Yeah, proud is something I feel a lot of the time. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, uh, of being a solicitor. 
you know, of, um, you know, first person in my family to go to university, um, you know, and, you know, to, to have made a, a, a reasonably good job of it so far and to, to get to where I am at JMW, I'm immensely proud of that. In terms of, of the team, um, yeah, it's, I, I am proud of, of that team and what we've built. I'm proud of the work that we've done since I moved to JMW three years ago, you know, when, when Joy Kingsley first approached me um, and there'd been the, 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 the mass exodus and the kind of rebuilding of the team, when I had a coffee with her, there were three solicitors um, in that team at the time. Wow. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 30 now, did you say? 30 now. And, and they were having, you know, they were, they were spinning so many plates to try and, and, and keep things going. And they worked heroically, you know, shout out to, to Holly, uh, Joanna and, and Gianna who did that. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we picked people uh, around. It's quite a nice exercise, sort of cherry picking the best people around to who you wanted to join you. So that's when Cara Nuttall came along, who I'd been, I'd been after for ages. Um, and she's come in, done a fabulous job, and we built it. And then we started the dialogue with, with David and his team from DWF, <coughs> excuse me, which took a little, little bit longer than I think we thought it would do, but we got that over the line. And of course, you know, you're bringing in another team of 12 or 13. I think we were similar size at that time. You're bringing in David's reputation. You're bringing in Elspeth's reputation to sit alongside the work that I've got, the reputation that Kyra's got in her areas. And suddenly, you know, we, we go from, we were a great team before. Now we're still tier one before the DWF move or the DWF merger. Um, you've then got these kind of, you know, these two really, really good teams we did an awful lot of work making sure personalities would fit in the right teams and making sure everybody merged. And one of our big metrics was, let's see if we can, if we, let's see if everybody's still here in 12 months' time. You know, we, we know that there's a really active market for family lawyers um, at the minute. It's, you know, there are masses of people, but there seem to be a lot of jobs. So we so said one of our key metrics is, you know, we, 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 can, we can be happy if, if, we, if we try and keep our attrition rate down, I suppose. And touch wood, you know, we've lost one person who left for very personal reasons to be closer to home. But everyone else, and we've carried on recruiting on top of that as well. So I'm immensely proud of where, of where we've got to, um, you know, of, of the work that Kara's done, the work that Elspeth's done. It's just, it's, yeah, it's ace. We've, it's, it's a lot. It's, like I say, it's a <laughs> challenge. Um, but, yeah, keeps us busy. So with being such a successful and big team, Obviously, there are things that JMW and the family team must be doing well. So what sets JMW apart from other firms? Oh, well, I've worked in a few. Um, the, I think what, what people always say about, about JMW, <coughs> um, it has a, a, a kind of JMW feeling. There is a JMW person. Uh, or type of person, I think. And that person is, is somebody who comes in who is entrepreneurial. That's the big point in there. If you, you will succeed at JMW, you'll progress very quickly if you're entrepreneurial. You know, if you'll, if you'll see a, an angle, if you'll see an opportunity to bring work, that's how, that's how you will pro- progress. Um, so I think that eye on, on talent and what they bring with them and the wider picture is a, is a big deal. Um, the marketing team and the central support that we get is amazing. And there's only three or four of them. And my gosh, the, you know, the amount of work that they get through is Herculean because we're now over 500 people in that firm and it's still the same size marketing team. 
Um, so you get through a lot of that. And then the support that we get from Joy um, is, you know, I've been, in, I've been in firms and I know of firms where trying to, say, recruit, for example, you know, it's fill out a business plan, do this, that, and the other, and it, and it's, and it can take a long time. With Joy, you know, you kind of, you're given the autonomy. You know, if you come up with an idea, you will be backed. So, for example, we're the only firm, um, I think there's one or two in London, but not very many, who have an in-house barrister. So we, Abigail Bennett joined us about 18 months ago. So Abigail Bennett was one of the top uh, junior family barristers, uh, money barristers in, in the country, probably. She's just approaching 20 years call top of her game and she was doing a lot of work for me she was doing a lot of work for Elspeth and we had this idea where as well given our size now given the amount of of work that we're sending out um, of the firm two chambers let's see if we can convince Abigail to join us um, and we went to joy with the idea which is a bit outlandish it's a bit out there it's not usual at all and within and this is no exaggeration probably three weeks abigail had accepted an offer from her to come and work for us you know that so she got involved she approved it she met with um with abigail and joy had texted her an offer you know which is joy's way from caluccio's um <laughs> she texted her an offer within 24 hours and it was a done deal so that that agility in the marketplace is is phenomenal but that's joy's reputation is it everyone knows that that's yeah it's interesting that you bring up Abigail, actually, because that's something we were going to ask about. Uh, I, I guess the part of it that I'd like to understand more about is how much of a sell did you have to give to Abigail for her to make that move from, from chambers to private practice? Because as you say, it, it's a little bit unusual, isn't it? Mm. Um, not a massive one, to be honest. <coughs> it was, you know, it, it wasn't a huge sell. Um, I joked for years, um, it, it, well, you know, places where I'd worked in the past and things, you know, that I sent her that much work, she might as well just come in house, you know, <laughs> what's, the, what's the plan? But I was in smaller teams previously. It just, it worked because we've got, because we are so big and we and we, we got to the point where it's like, can we really keep a, you know, a, a high-flying, you know, top-level barrister? You know, this isn't somebody who's making up numbers. Can we keep them busy enough? And we ran the figures and it was like, well, yeah, we can really easily. And then I said to her, you know, we, 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 we were on a case or something, I can't remember the, the details. And I just said, well, you know, it's, it's a bit more of a, of a reality now. And I remember she said, you know, at the time, well, I, I fancy doing something a bit different. I fancy something a bit out there, you know, a bit, a bit away from, from the norm. You know, barristers have a very kind of, it's not a career path, I suppose, is it? But they have a, a trajectory, you know, towards silk and everything else. And I think she thought, well, it's a bit different. There are, of course, practical, you know, considerations. I'm guessing she's, she's enjoying being an employed um, barrister as opposed to self-employed <laughs> in the current crisis. Um, you know, she has paid holidays. That's all a bit, a bit unusual, a bit weird for her. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it wasn't a huge sale, <coughs> sale to be honest, because she did that much work with David Elspeth and I anyway. That she thought, well. You know, sod it if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I'm presuming it's just a model that works for bigger family teams. It's not something you would probably recommend for everyone as the novel approach. I think that's probably right, yeah, um, because, you know, you have to have that, that baseline of work to, to cover the overhead. Um, 
I mean, you could have it, um, and I've seen people do it in the past, you know, where they kind of dual qualify. So you could have them sat behind the desk doing our our really dull stuff as opposed to their exciting stuff on their feet in court. Um, so you could do it that way. We wanted, we it wasn't for us, it wasn't, we want a barrister, let's find our barrister. It was, let's get Abigail. It was, you know, there was a very, there was a big difference there. It wasn't just a, we've had this this idea of a, of a business model. It was, let's get Abigail because, you know, we know what she brings. And also, it's not just, a, clients love it, by the way. Clients love it. You know, having somebody who we can just say, listen, I'll speak to your counsel, I'll be back to you in half an hour. is amazing. Whereas normally you're fighting through their diary. They've got 20 other solicitors they've got to keep happy. Clients love it. And, and also, Abigail will, will say this herself. She goes into hearings way better prepared, a, a, a big chunk of the time, than her Oppo. Because, of course, they have got a million different cases on the go at one time. They're prepping at night, etc. Whereas she, has, she runs her own diary now. She, you know, so she can carve out two hours there to prep for a case or, or whatever. So, you know, I think she thinks she's, doing, she's able to do a better job for the client, you know, even better job than she was able because she's fighting, fighting less fires, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I do think you need that critical mass of work. There. Let's roll the clock back a little bit. You mentioned you've worked for a few firms, but I'd like to understand why family law in the first place. Um, I think I, there was no huge passion for it <coughs> during my studies or anything like that. I, I studied it. Um, I think it, it all comes down to, to where I trained and who I trained under. Uh, so I trained at, at Slater Healis um, before, well, Slater Healis, Collier Littler, as were as was yeah. when they were back in, just in sale. Um, and I think they described themselves as a, as a high street firm with bells on. You know, they were they started a great reputation in South Manchester. And Mike Hamlin is the, the chap who recruited me for the, for the training contract. And I did my first seat with Mike. Um, which was family. And Mike is just the loveliest, kindest bloke you'll ever meet. He's just, you know, he's just the nicest man on the planet. Um, and I made, you know, a fabulous family lawyer, proper old school, um, you know, just everything, everything you would want, I think, as a young lawyer coming into to a, uh, to, to a firm who doesn't have a background in law. I've not been, you know, amongst loads of lawyers in, in the past in my background. And, and he was just, he was just great, and and I think Slater Slater Ellis was a was a great firm at the time. They did punch above their weight into because they were a high street firm essentially, but family even more so because of Mike's reputation. And you know, and judges loved him, or the professionals loved him. You know, he acted for a lot of judges, a lot of barristers along the way. And and the training was great, and the work quality was great, and it was really old school training where you know, and I don't think you get it anymore. You might do, I don't know. But, you know, where you're throwing a file on your desk and it's like, right, you're in court in half an hour. Go and pick the bones <laughs> out of that. It was that type of, of, of exercise. I mean, it's only, God, how long? 17 years ago. Jeez, that makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was different and, and you were thrown in. And, and I just, you know, I love the work. It's, it's a great combination of there's loads of law. You know, there's new law being made all the time in terms of, of reported case law. Um, it's, there's a lot of practical issues that you've got to you've got to deal with literally no case is ever the same different personalities different asset bases different issues um i was always going to be a litigant because so, so it, doing litigation because you know 
I like a, I like an argument. You know, I'm, 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 I'm happy to go toe to toe. Um, and, and yeah, it, it just was the right fit. And I don't, I don't know if there's, if there's some correlation, you might know better than I do, whether there's a correlation between people qualifying into what they do in the first seat. I don't know whether that's part of it as well, but I just, I just really enjoyed it. I, I like the work. I like the hustle and bustle of it. You're never quiet. Um, but yeah, I think by and large, it was, it was kind of my first mentor, if you like. It was Mike Hamlin, who retired about five years ago. So he's still a, a deputy district judge. Um, but uh, but I've, not come, I've not come in front of him. I've not been in front of him yet. I'm not even sure whether I'd be allowed to because he was such a good friend back in the day. I don't, I don't, I've never had that discussion with him. But I still see him every so often. I'll have a, a buy and tweet with him. I'm always particularly intrigued um, as to the answer to that question when you ask it to a bloke because certainly from where I'm sitting it looks like an area of law that's very female heavy mm. was that the case when you started out in family law oh god yeah. yeah yeah even even more so at that time there was there were a few senior people kicking about who were who were males like I said there was Mike Hamlin there was David Pickering um and then yeah, you could you could almost count on one hand people of, of my kind of level who were qualifying into into families. So there was at that time James Brown was at Pannoni, um, Phil Rhodes was at Pannoni, and I don't think there were many others to be honest. Now it gave me a bit of a benefit, you know. I, I got approached a lot about jobs, and I think you know I was I was benefiting from from being in the in the minority uh, in that respect at, at the time, which wasn't something I did on purpose, um, kind of undeliberately astute of me, I suppose. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's, it, it, I think it always has been, um, you know, much more geared towards female solicitors. Um, I don't know why, I don't know whether there is a, a kind of, it's a bit less macho than the corporate world and all of that. I don't know. Um, but you know, it's, I, I love it, and, and you know it's, um, it's 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 good fun. I hear quite a lot, actually, that if you're a male family solicitor, you ordinarily all of your clients tend to be male, also, um, and vice versa. Obviously, mm. does does that happen, or not so much? No, I don't, not not for me. Um, I've gosh, I'm probably at the minute. I'd say sixty forty maybe there or thereabouts um yeah more more wives than than husbands um and they, they, the husbands i tend to get tend to be business owners um because of of, of, of a particular network of of, of accountants that current uh, accountant that, that i know and, and, and work with um and, and yeah 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 60 40 i would say don't know why don't know why but um and i don't know whether or not i suppose that might be right with david with david's practice maybe i, I suspect he might have more more husbands um but no it's, I've, I've never really found that that to be the case so that's maybe a slight misconception on our part then um are there are there any other common misconceptions that you find people have about family law or family lawyers um yeah, that that we're all. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, how can I put this? That we're all a bit. <laughs> that we're all a bit cute and cuddly. 
that that point I made it a second ago. You know, the, 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 do the corporate guys actually, you know, think that we're you know we're we're a bit soft and you know and and, and as I say, you know, if you ever pick up you know a file, you know, of a, of a case that ha- that has got acrimonious, and we we try our best to to not do obviously. Well, you know, a case that has got acrimonious and you pick up the file or, or you go to court and watch Abigail sparring against one of her counterparts or you pick up the correspondence, you'll see that it's not that fluffy. And I have divorced, I've acted against corporate lawyers, you know, and I think they very quickly realise that, it's, that it's, not, it's, it's, it's not that at all. <laughs> um, in terms of, of, of common misconceptions, it's, it's, there, are, there are literally dozens of misconceptions about family law because everybody's, everybody's an expert in divorce law. That's, our, that's one of our big, big issues. So I, I have this thing, if, if somebody makes contact with me, so they've been recommended to me by an old client or a contact or whatever, I will always try to get them in as soon as possible because I know for a fact that they, I won't be the first person they've spoken to. They will have spoken to a friend who got divorced or a hairdresser who got divorced or an accountant or whatever. And everybody... Everybody is an expert in divorce law, either because they've had a bad divorce themselves or they've got a mate who has or whatever. So when they come into that first meeting, the first thing that you can immediately do, and you watch them leave the meeting, it's, it's, it's great. They, they, they just decompress because they've been so pumped full of, of bad information about how dreadful this is going to be and what's going to happen, particularly wives. And I don't want to generalize enormously, but you might have a wife who, who comes in. This is quite frequent. And she's been told by her husband, ad infinitum that she's not going to get anything, that it's going to be dreadful and her, her lifestyle is going to have to change, et cetera, et cetera. But it only takes me an hour to, to go through, the, to, through a bit of a fat fan and say, well, that's nonsense. You know, you've been married 20 years, 25 years, whatever it may be. You're going to, you know, this is a 50-50 case and, this is, and you're going to be comfortable and the whole work area is governed by fairness. And, 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 and that's nice. So I, I always try to get them in as, you know, as soon as possible, just... You know, I have the, you know, they might say, oh, well, I can come in two weeks on Monday. That's no good because by then they've got another two weeks of misinformation uh, being pumped into, and they're just more stressed and more worried. And so, Well, the media love to talk about divorce and, you know, it's a very, very common storyline in soaps and you get <laughs> dramas like The Split. And I guess, I guess all of that perpetuates what you're saying, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, you know, the, 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 the atypical, you know, common law wife, you know, the number of calls we get saying, oh, well, it's fine, I'm his common-law wife. Well, you're not, because no such thing exists. So, you know, you, we, we, you have cases in the heartbreaking where people come in and say, been with this, uh, this person for 25 years, we've built up this together, we've built up this together, da-da-da. They're not married. So, you know, his pension is off-limits, his business is off-limits, the property, if it's not held in joint names, is off-limits. There's no maintenance. People are left on their uppers in these cases, and it's horrendous. Um, but, you know, they might have been told that for a reason, you know, that, that you know, oh, everything will be fine. We're living together. But that, that happens all the time, all the time. Family law in itself is something that is really popular, particularly amongst um, law students um, and paralegals. This is an area of law that a lot of people want to qualify into. So with your experience, with you managing the biggest family team, in Manchester um, or nationally even. What's uh, your advice for, for young solicitors, for trainees? Gosh, um, 
that's a big question. I suppose just throw yourself into it. I don't think there's any anything more you can do really. It's is you know ask questions because as I said earlier, the reason I like it is it's because it's so multifaceted. You know, it's law, it's personal relationships, it's you know if you're going to build a practice, you know, and, and get your own work coming in, which then of course makes you of more use to to, to future employers. Um, you have to be able to to see an angle. You know, you have to be able to to read between the lines. You know, of, of what might be happening on a case. What where the information is coming from, you know, is there a, some subtext that we don't know about? Um, you know, so I think I would, I, w- I would encourage them just, just to really throw themselves in. The best trainees I've had in the last couple of years, we've got one at the minute who's just wonderful. Uh, you know, she's, unfortunately, she's an Elspeth team, not mine at the minute. Um, but she is fabulous. You know, she's a hard worker. But, you know, if she finds herself with any free time during the day, you know, she's, she's, heading to a file you know going through the correspondence this is how it works this is what the process is going to be the ones who show an interest in in tactical and strategic excuse me strategic decisions that's an enormous part of, of family law litigation in general i suppose well that's the stuff you don't learn <coughs> on, the, on the lpc you know so i think you know people in our team you know they've got the they've got the benefit of, of working in a team with david pickering you know, who's been around for about 120 years, um, you know, but is, is tactically, you know, I, I still learn loads from David. I'll go and run, run ideas past him. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's just soaking in as, as much. I mean, I can't be more specific really than, than, than that in terms of, of trainees, I suppose, generally. But I think that they're the people who get the most out of it. And I've had ones who come in who've got no interest in family law. You know, they want to be a commercial property lawyer. And, and I've had, and, and it goes both ways, you know, I've had them where they come in, they're not interested and they leave and they're not interested and they've not been that interested during. But then I had one guy who, come, who came in and he was very candid. He's like, you know, in fact, I interviewed him during the training process stage and he was all very commercial, commercial, commercial. And he came in and he properly threw himself into it and he got loads out of it. And he, and he walked away and he said, I've learned skills that I wouldn't have learned. You know, it might be negotiation or, or whatever. I've learned tons and he, and he enjoyed it. He got a lot out of it. Uh, at least that's why his appraisal said. <laughs> I think there's something in that, isn't there? That actually, if you apply yourself and throw yourself at something, regardless of what you think it's going to be like at the outset, you often find that you learn something from it you didn't expect it, or you hadn't expected, or that you enjoy it a lot more than you might otherwise have thought you would have done. Um, and and actually, I guess you know people's careers hinge on these decisions. You know, whether to apply themselves properly or not because if if they do they can just soon discover that actually they enjoyed it a lot more than they thought they would and they end up spending the rest of their life doing that thing absolutely and if you and if you do it right i think the people who get the most out of training contracts full stop are the ones who just pick up bits and pieces from from each stop along the way aren't they that that has to be right you know like i say there are there are certain soft skills that you'll get in a family seat that you might not get doing corporate finance for example but if you want to be a commercial property lawyer for example, you know, where he is more client facing, then you might pick those, those skills up along the way. So I think you, you're absolutely right. I completely agree with you. You know, if you can, if you can just pick up a little bit out of each seat to take it to where you're going. And then, like I say, there are people who, who come in with a genuine, genuinely open mind and say, I don't, you know, I don't know what I want to do. It's quite interesting because I, I sit on the, on the training trainee interview panel and and I don't know whether or not they're just being smart because they know that I'm on the panel for that particular interview. But when we say, you know, what would be your dream four seats? Family does feature quite, quite heavily. 
And I think it is that kind of that dynamism, you know, the law is changing a lot. We've got Cara who's doing some really cutting edge law, uh, you know, with regard to surrogacy work, alternative family work, you know, she is at the cutting edge of, of that stuff. And, you know, is one of the best regarded in the country um, with that work, you know, she's really sought out. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's a bit of that that they want, that they like the idea of as well. And, and, and again, like you say, the split and all the, the, the front lines of, of the newspapers can't, can't do any harm, can they? Right, big question for you then. If, if you weren't a family lawyer, what, what would you be doing instead? Obviously, I'd be a professional footballer, obviously. <laughs> I, did think, I, did, I did get a whiff of that when you said at the start. <laughs> oh, God, I absolutely, I absolutely wouldn't have been a professional footballer. Um, <laughs> and seeing what some of them are paying in maintenance, I'm not sure I want to be. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> what would I be doing? Um, if I had my time again, I, think, I don't think I'd do a law degree. I did a law degree and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I would, I would do something that was more interesting. So I think I would have done an English degree if I had my time again, because I love books, I love literature. Um, so I think that's what I would have done. I'd, I'd have had three years studying something that, you know, I really, really enjoyed. Um, and then I would have converted and done the GDL um, through. So, so I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd be any good at anything else. To be honest. I'd, I don't know. I, that's the that's not a cop out. Maybe an accountant. Maybe I do like the idea of being able to work in different businesses and go from sector to sector. You can be a bit tired being a solicitor in England and Wales. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. We all have we all have fantasies, don't we, about what we might be doing? Well, I, I guess from your initial be a professional skier. No. Oh, yeah, if you if you want, I mean, like, not the talent. <laughs> if I get, if I had the talent, I'd do whatever I want. Well, I suppose maybe maybe this question should be rephrased. Then it should it should perhaps be, if you weren't a family lawyer and you could be anything you want to be. Oh, no, what would you be? And no, I guess I, I guess will we go back to the initial answer of a professional footballer? No, 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 no. I don't think I would. No so much pressure. Well, I, I do, I do, I do, I do a reasonable amount of work in the in the football sphere, and that sixty forty, like which I was talking about earlier on. For, um, females versus males I t- it tends to be um, for a lot of um, other halves and footballs and I have done historically and and it and I've spent a lot of time in and around training grounds as well with, with players and it is it's a tough life that you know it's 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 hard work the only time you ever see them in the slightest bit relaxed in my experience is at the training ground and and you go into you walk into a training ground the first couple of times, and and they see you and they instantly bolt up. You know who's this? You know they, 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 this person out to get us. When you go a few times, they relax and they, and they get to recognise the face. But it's and, and but they're only there for three or four hours a day tops, and the rest of the time people have got their camera phones out or you know they, they can't. They, they, it's a it's a real goldfish bowl. So I think the pressure that goes with it is you know. I'm not, I'm not sure it's worth. I don't know whether you've, have you seen the um, the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan uh, documentary on Netflix at the minute. Do you know what? I'm trying to convince uh, my wife and my brother that it should be the next thing we watch. It's incredible. It's so good. But Dennis Rodman, there's a, there's an episode with Dennis Rodman, who of course was a bit bonkers. Yeah. And and he says, "I'll play basketball for free." He said, "You get paid the millions for all the shit that goes around it." And 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 I think that. You know, 90s basketball in America, the Chicago Bulls, you know, it was real 
you know, magnifying glass. I think you point that, you know, your average City, United, Liverpool player, and I think I think the scrutiny is, is as bad. Um, so, yeah, long-winded answer. I'm not sure I would want to be a professional footballer. don't know. But I like the mountains. I'd probably want to be a skier or something. Okay, fair enough. That would be cool. You said um, you said you like um, reading. Um, so I would ordinarily ask about your favourite book, but actually, let's ask what which book do you think is really overrated that everyone loves? That's an amazing question. Um, ask me ask me this question as well for films in a minute, and I'll give you an amazing <laughs> list of films I've never watched. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a it's a, it's a proper um, conversation ender. Um, right, I hated um, A Colour Purple by Maya Angelou. Everyone raves about that. I hated it. I thought it was dreadful. And, and I really hated, um, and I think it, won, it either won the Booker Prize or it was shortlisted, uh, Vernon God Little. I think it's absolutely dreadful. Um, about 10 years ago, I think it was nominated or won it. I can't remember uh, which. I might have to edit that bit out. Um, but yeah, one of one of them two, I just thought were were awful. I'd like to meaningly contribute to this uh, discussion, but I don't. I don't really read, if I'm honest. But <laughs> my <laughs> not for fun anyway. But um, my wife's doing a challenge this year: one book a week. A week? And, yeah, one book a week. Oh God, I'm bad. And and she's she's ahead of schedule. Um, really ahead of schedule, actually. But then she's just come up um, against one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right. And. and Again, it's a classic, which I know lots of people rave about, and it's taken her two weeks, which is slow by her standards, and she can't slate it enough. Really? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, see, I'm a, re- I'm a really slow reader, but I think that's because I did an A-level in English Lit, I think because you're reading in a very critique, in a very critical way. I think I just read slowly. It makes, it makes this job really hard, actually, because I read, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite a slow reader. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, my, my wife gets me, every year she gets me the entire man booker prize shortlisted books so it comes in a sort of pack of six as one of my christmas presents um and i love that and i'll only ever read two maximum a year in amongst whatever else i'm reading um but i'm they're all saved up for when i retire one day when i do have some time to do anything <laughs> or when the kids go to university or whatever um but yeah but yeah over eight books that's a brilliant question well i'm conscious we're running out of time and i've got a couple more things i want to ask so why don't you reel off this list of films first that you've not seen that you think oh. you're going to be shocked at um there's loads <coughs> uh, any star wars movie oh <laughs> shawshank, <laughs> shawshank redemption never seen it et the goonies alien um Oh, there's, there's loads of like real stone cold class. any of the godfathers not seen any of them Michael I'm right in thinking you're probably an 80s child right yeah and you've not watched E.T. or the Goonies no never watched them but how did that I've happen watched, <laughs> I've watched but I've watched I was out I was out you know playing in the local quarry things were different in the 80s <laughs> you could do you know you, there, was, there were no curfews um I'm um yeah there, there, there's, there's loads um I didn't watch any of them, but I've watched, you know, really dreadful films like Don't Tell Mum the Babysitter's Dead dozens of times or Weekend at Bernie's, you know, <laughs> literally hundreds of times. So, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, and, and of course, you know, now I've got kids, I've not watched anything that's not a you for the last 10 years um, at the cinema. So, um, so, yeah, I'm rubbish on films. You just rubbish. said you, you grew up in Oldham. Are you, are you yeah. an Oldham fan or do you, are you, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. People aren't going to see the sympathetic face that you're pulling now, are they? <laughs> I can see it though when it hurts. <laughs> I mean, I, I, full disclosure, I'm a Villa fan, so it's not like really? I've, I've had a huge amount to cheer about the last You've 10 not, years. Not scaled the heights, have you? Um, well, did you see on um, during the lockdown, they, they, they replayed on BBC some classic FA Cup semi finals and they replayed Oldham versus uh, United from 90. Two, I think it was, and I made my kids watch it with their latex kits on. Honestly, <laughs> it was it was about it was about seventy degrees in the garden, and I made them sit in in our front room and watch um, an hour of latex versus United from nineteen ninety two. It's an education, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, it's Absolutely. cruel. <laughs> but we were good then. It'd be cruel if I made them go and watch them now. Um, well, I have taken my my, my lad's been. Um, I took him earlier this season to it to his first latics game and it's good you think you've got plenty of room you know there's no there's no squashing in there um the football's fairly dreadful but you know he, he met the mascot i've Very never nice. been to a football match so <laughs> i feel like i'm missing out on a big chunk of the british sort of identity there i'd Maybe probably I go villa go. park before boundary park i think <laughs> <laughs> I went to um, with a few friends who we were just trying to do a tour of some of the football grounds in the northwest a few years ago and we went to um, watch Rochdale Oldham wow local big rivalry yeah, that. that's like what, the old firm derby that yeah is. what a day out that was I think I think I think Oldham won 3-0 from memory was it at Boundary Park or at Rochdale was it Rochdale was it at Rochdale Spotland yeah yeah um, the best part about the stadium though is that it has a social club attached to the stand so half, oh, very nice. So uh, half time, rather than having to go into a kind of cold stand and get your pie, you just yeah. pop into the social club. It's brilliant. Yeah, and there's no queues. There's no, no queues at that no, level. No, <laughs> no. Uh, well, they relegated us. When we got relegated a couple of years ago, it was Rochdale who in the last game of the season. Ouch. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a kind of study of, of torment, really, um, supporting Oldham. Like I say, from the 90s when we were good to the last... 20, however old I am, many years of uh, being being rank and rank average. But <laughs> we can't all support City, can we? No, exactly. So, um, just to finish off, I guess, the, the last question I have for you is, what's your favourite refreshment? Um, well, I, I thought, again, I thought long and hard about this, and I, and I was going to say, and it's genuine, I do really like a cup of mint tea. But I can't honestly say it's my, it's my favourite refreshment. So I, think, I, think, I don't think there's anything tastes better than a beer at the end of, of a long day skiing. And specifically, I think it has to be a bottle of Desperado. So I think if I'm nailing my colours to the mast, it's a bottle of Desperado in an apres ski bar somewhere. In Very the- nice. French Alps. What I'd give for that right now. I know, experience. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I was in Austria two weeks before <clears> the <throat> lockdown. You know, when it had all got it had all got a bit moody by that point. Mm. Um, but obviously, nothing was was shut, and it and it was a bit like you know going through Munich Airport was a bit like this is you know the lot of face masks and it did feel a bit a bit ropey. And I've had clients actually uh, had a client who was in Ischgl same weekend as I was actually away, and they had a a big flare-up in Ishkel as well. 
and she thinks that they would drink their group were drinking with the group of Italian fellas where the big uh. influx has come from. So yeah, so a few of them went down with it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Absolutely, what what you do now to be to have the freedom of the mountains there. Well, on that note, thank you very yeah, much. Sorry, mate. That was that was really depressing, wasn't it? The weather's <laughs> nice. Though. Again, I can't prove it, but the weather's nice now. I've got a lovely. No, no, I've got I've got I've got a nice view outside as well, and it's nice and sunny, and I can see there's a bit of sun bouncing into your room. So you know, things could yeah. be worse. Exactly, exactly. And that that the, again, this is not good for podcasts, is it? But the picture there is Anglesey. That's the beach in, in Ross Niagara in Anglesey. Which again, again, that would have been my other answer for my favourite refreshment is a is a pint of shipyard in the oyster catcher in Ross Niagara. That's another also very good answer. Tip top. Tip top. Sounds divine. <laughs> yeah, particularly right now, like you say. I'm almost reaching for a beer now. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it? Yeah, I'm just looking. I don't think it's, it's late in the afternoon. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael, for having, for finding time to speak to us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. It's been lovely.